0: Letter 57 of Clarissa Harlow or the History of a Young Lady volume 8 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by nicole lee clarissa harlow or the history of a young lady volume 8 by samuel richardson letter 57 mr belford to robert lovelace esquire monday september fourth. the lady would not read the letter she had from mrs norton till she had received the communion for fear it should contain anything that might disturb that happy calm which she had been endeavouring to obtain for it and when that solemn office was over she was so composed she said that she thought she could receive any news however affecting with tranquillity nevertheless in reading it she was forced to leave off several times through weakness and a dimness in her sight of which she complained if i may say complained for so easy and soft were her complaints that they could hardly be called such she was very much affected at diverse parts of this letter she wept several times, and sighed often. Mrs. Lovick told me that these were the gentle exclamations she broke out into as she read, Her unkind, her cruel brother! How unsisterly! Poor dear woman, seeming to speak of Mrs. Norton! Her kind cousin! Oh, these flaming spirits! And then reflecting upon herself more than once, What a deep error is mine! What evils have I been the occasion of! When I was admitted to her presence, I have received, said she, a long and not very pleasing letter from my dear mrs norton it will soon be in your hands i am advised against appointing you to the office you have so kindly accepted of but you must resent nothing of these things my choice will have an odd appearance to them but it is now too late to alter it if i would i would fain write an answer to it continued she but i have no distinct sight mr belford no steadiness of fingers this mistiness however will perhaps be gone by and by then turning to mrs lovick i don't think i am dying yet not actually dying mrs lovick for i have no bodily pain no numbnesses no signs of immediate death i think and my breath which used of late to be so short is now tolerable my head clear my intellects free i think i cannot be dying yet i shall have agonies i doubt life will not give up so blessedly easy i fear yet how merciful is the almighty to give his poor creature such a sweet serenity "'Tis what I have prayed for. "'What encouragement, Mrs. Lovick, so near one's dissolution, "'to have it to hope that one's prayers are answered!' Mrs. Smith, as well as Mrs. Lovick, was with her. They were both in tears. Nor had I, any more than they, power to say a word in answer. Yet she spoke all this, as well as what follows, with a surprising composure of mind and countenance. "'But Mr. Belford,' said she, assuming a still sprightlier air and accent, let me talk a little to you, while I am thus able to say what I have to say. Mrs. Lovick, don't leave us, for the women were rising to go. Pray sit down, and do you, Mrs. Smith, sit down too. Dame Shelburne, take this key and open the upper drawer. I will move to it. She did, with trembling knees. Here, Mr. Belford, is my will. It is witnessed by three persons of Mr. Smith's acquaintance. I dare to hope that my cousin Morden will give you assistance if you request it of him. My cousin Morden continued his affection for me, but as I have not seen him, I leave all the trouble upon you, Mr. Belford. This deed may want forms, and it does, no doubt, but the less as I have my grandfather's will almost by heart, and have often enough heard that canvassed. I will lay it by itself in this corner, putting it at the further end of the drawer. She then took up a parcel of letters, enclosed in one cover, sealed with three seals of black wax. This, said she, I sealed up last night. The cover, sir, will let you know what is to be done with what it encloses. This is the superscription, holding it close to her eyes and rubbing them. As soon as I am certainly dead, this to be broke open by Mr. Belford. Here, sir, I put it, placing it by the will. These folded papers are letters, and copies of letters, disposed according to their dates. Miss Howe will do with those as you and she shall think fit. If I receive any more, or more come when I cannot receive them, they may be put into this drawer." pulling out and pushing in the looking-glass drawer. To be given to Mr. Belford, be they from whom they will. You'll be so kind as to observe that, Mrs. Lovick, and Dame Shelburne. Here, sir, proceeded she. I put the keys of my apparel, putting them into the drawer with her papers. All is in order, and the inventory upon them, and an account of what I have disposed of, so that nobody need to ask Mrs. Smith any questions. There will be no immediate need to open or inspect the trunks which contain my wearing apparel. Mrs. Norton will open them, or order somebody to do it for her in your presence mrs lovick for so i have directed in my will they may be sealed up now i shall never more have occasion to open them she then though i expostulated with her to the contrary caused me to seal them up with my seal after this she locked up the drawer where were her papers first taking out her book of meditations as she called it saying she should perhaps have use for that and then desired me to take the key of that drawer for she should have no further occasion for that neither all this in so composed and cheerful a manner that we were equally surprised and affected with it you can witness for me mrs smith and so can you mrs lovick proceeded she if any one ask after my life and conversation since you have known me that i have been very orderly have kept good hours and never have lain out of your house but when i was in prison and then you know i could not help it o oh, loveless that thou hadst heard her or seen her unknown to herself on this occasion not one of us could speak a word "'I shall leave the world in perfect charity,' proceeded she, and turning towards the woman, "'don't be so much concerned for me, my good friends. This is all but needful preparation, and I shall be very happy.' Then again rubbing her eyes, which she said were misty, and looked more intently round upon each, particularly on me, "'God bless you all,' said she. "'How kindly are you concerned for me! Who says I am friendless? Who says I am abandoned and among strangers? Good Mr. Belford!' "'Don't be so generously humane, indeed,' putting her handkerchief to her charming eyes. "'You'll make me less happy than I am sure you wish me to be.' While we were thus solemnly engaged, a servant came with a letter from her cousin Morden. "'Then,' said she, "'he's not come himself.' She broke it open, but every line, she said, appeared too to her, so that, being unable to read it herself, she desired I would read it to her. I did so, and wished it were more consolatory to her. But she was all patient attention.' tears, however, often trickling down her cheeks. By the date it was written yesterday, and this is the substance of it. He tells her that the Thursday before he had procured a general meeting of her principal relations at her father's, though not without difficulty, her haughty brother opposing it, and when met, rendering all his endeavours to reconcile them to her ineffectual. He censures him as the most ungovernable young man he ever knew. Some great sickness, he says, some heavy misfortune, is wanted to bring him to a knowledge of himself, and of what is due from him to others and he wishes that he were not her brother and his cousin nor do he spare her father and uncles for being so implicitly led by him he tells her that he parted with them all in high displeasure and thought never more to darken any of their doors that he declared as much to her two uncles who came to him on saturday to try to accommodate with him and who found him preparing to go to london to attend her and that notwithstanding their pressing entreaties he determined so to do and not to go with them to Harlow Place, or to either of their own houses, and accordingly dismissed them with such an answer. But that her noble letter, as he calls it, of august thirty first, being brought him about an hour after their departure, he thought it might affect them as much as it did him, and give them the exalted opinion of her virtue which was so well deserved. He therefore turned his horse's head back to her uncle Antony's, instead of forwards toward London, that, accordingly arriving there, and finding her two uncles together, he read to them the affecting letter, which left none of the three a dry eye, that the absent, as is usual in such cases, bearing all the load, they accused her brother and sister, and besought him to put off his journey to town, till he could carry with him the blessings which she had formerly in vain solicited for, and, as they hoped, the happy tidings of a general reconciliation, that not doubting but his visit would be the more welcome to her, if these good ends could be obtained, he the more readily complied with their desires, but not being willing to subject himself to the possibility of receiving fresh insult from her brother, he had given her uncles a copy of her letter, for the family to assemble upon, and desired to know, as soon as possible, the result of their deliberations. He tells her that he shall bring her up the accounts relating to the produce of her grandfather's estate, and adjust them with her, having actually in his hands the arrears due to her from it. He highly applauds the noble manner in which she resents your usage of her. It is impossible, he owns, that you can either deserve her, or to be forgiven but as you do justice to her virtue, and offer to make her all the reparation now in your power, and as she is so very earnest with him not to resent that usage, and declares that you could not have been the author of her calamities, but through a strange concurrence of unhappy causes, and as he is not at a loss to know how to place to a proper account that strange concurrence, he desires her not to be apprehensive of any vindictive measures from him. Nevertheless, as may be expected, he inveighs against you, as he finds that she gave you no advantage over her, but he forbears to enter further into this subject he says till he has the honour to see her and the rather she seems so much determined against you however he cannot but say that he thinks you a gallant man and a man of sense and that you have the reputation of being thought a generous man in every instance but where the sex is concerned in such he owns that you have taken inexcusable liberties and he is sorry to say that there are very few young men of fortune but who allow themselves in the same both sexes he observes too much love to have each other in their power yet he hardly ever knew man or woman who was very fond of power make a right use of it if she be so absolutely determined against marrying you as she declares she is he hopes he says to prevail upon her to take as soon as her health will permit a little tour abroad with him as what will probably establish it since travelling is certainly the best physic for all those disorders which owe their rise to grief or disappointment an absence of two or three years will endear her to every one on her return and every one to her he expresses his impatience to see her he will set out he says the moment he knows the result of her family's determination which he doubts not will be favourable nor will he wait long for that when i had read the letter through to the languishing lady and so my friend said she have i heard of a patient who actually died while five or six principal physicians were in a consultation and not agreed upon what name to give his distemper the patient was an emperor the emperor joseph i think i asked if i should write to her cousin as he knew not how ill she was to hasten up by no means she said since if he were not already set out she was persuaded that she should be so low by the time he could receive my letter and come that his presence would but discompose and hurry her and afflict him i hope however she is not so very near her end and without saying any more to her when i retired i wrote to colonel morden that if he expects to see his beloved cousin alive he must lose no time in setting out i sent this letter by his own servant dr h sent away his letter to her father by a particular hand this morning mrs walton the milliner has also just now acquainted mrs smith that her husband had a letter brought by a special messenger from parson brand within this half hour enclosing the copy of one he had written to mr john harlowe recanting his officious one and as all these and the copy of the lady's letter to colonel morden will be with them pretty much at a time the devils in the family if they are not struck with a remorse that shall burst open the double-barred doors of their hearts. will engages to reach you with this, late as it will be, before you go to rest. He begs that I will testify for him the hour and the minute I shall give it him. It is just half an hour after ten. I pretend to be, now by use, the swiftest shorthand writer in England, next to yourself, but were matter to arise every hour to write upon, and I had nothing else to do. I cannot write so fast as you expect.' and let it be remembered that your servants cannot bring letters or messages before they are written or sent. End of letter 57